Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news, culture and media. My name is Nicky and I'm joined here by Greg. Hey Greg, how's everything going? It's going. We're still under partial house arrest here in the Middle East. Well, they get to grips with the apparent health crisis that the world's going through at the moment. Which is okay because it gives me lots of time to prepare for the podcast. And, and work. Of course, and work, yes. But that is the beauty of being on lockdown, that you can prepare for the podcast. Speaking of which, hopefully you enjoyed our last episode. But if not, just to fill you in, Greg and I have been friends for about 20 years, and although we're both from Scotland, neither of us live there anymore. But we like to keep up to date with all the news, culture, uh, media, and all things Scottish in general. So we thought it would be a good idea to catch up regularly, speak about events from home, and record it for you guys. We're also going to have a look at a major piece of Scottish drama or comedy each week. Last episode we spoke about the still game live performance at the Cottiers Theatre in Glasgow in 1999. Tonight, after we're finished talking about the news of the week, we're going to discuss Bill Forsyth's 1981 Scottish classic, Gregory's Girl. Yes, a wonderful uh, classic coming-of-age romantic comedy, I think. Also leads me to a a point, Greg. Are you a Gregory? Well, it's funny you should ask that. I'm not a Gregory, although I came tantalisingly close to being Gregory. My mother liked the name, but she also liked Greg, and she assumed that if she called me Gregory, everybody would shorten it to Greg anyway, so... She just went with Greg. So, yep, just G-R-E-G. The only people that call me Gregory are usually people that are don't know me very well or are taking the piss. Yeah, I can imagine in terms of lengthening your name, yeah, Gregory would be a bit of a... Yeah, it's kind of your, your Sunday name. But, well, it's good to know. I just wondered. I'd never <laughs> actually thought about that until I was watching Gregory's Girl again, and I thought... No, I'll need to ask Greg if he's a Gregory or not. Yeah, I think you and I have that in common, because for years... I thought that you were Nicholas and we just called you Nicky and it wasn't until I was sending you some money for the Manic Street Preachers concert that we're going to go to in Glasgow and I addressed the envelope Nicholas and I don't even think I spelt Nicholas right <laughs> on hindsight. It was hastily scrawled um, name and address and I, I remember you uh, either calling or texting me to dig me up for saying that your name wasn't Nicholas. It's Nicky. It's only yes. Nicky. It's only Nikki. I was similar. Um, my mum decided before I was born that if she didn't know if I was going to be a boy or a girl, and she picked Nikki. So she thought it would be a name to suit either. So that's the, the story of how I've got Nikki. You could have been Nikki with an I if you'd been a girl, but you're Nikki with a Y because you were born a boy. Yes, that's very true. That is very true. So thankfully I've got the correct spelling for a male. Okay, well, I'm glad that's cleared up the name chat. has there been anything in the scottish news this week that has caught your eye there has i've got two things that caught my eye this week and funnily enough they're both from uh, edinburgh so the first one comes from the daily record so obviously nicky you and i both lived in aberdeen for a long time aberdeen is i guess you know one of its uh, many virtues it's home to quite a lot of all-night bakeries that do quite a good line in pies. I always love a pie. A night out isn't complete until, yeah, you have go to the bakery on your way home and get a pie. 
And what would you say your favourite pie filling was? I'm very traditional, so I will go with a Scotch pie. I'm not a fan of a, a macaroni pie or anything. I'm I'm very much just Scotch, maybe chicken if they didn't have that. Right. But yeah. that's kind of it. I don't deviate with my pies too much. <laughs> yeah, I think Aberdeen's the only place that I've ever been in the world that sells macaroni pies. But a cafe in Edinburgh has trumped Aberdeen for unusual pie fillings. Nettie's Cafe in Leith have unveiled an experimental chicken and haggis pie, which sounds okay so far, but cooked... Sounds good. Cooked in a delicious iron brew-based sauce. Oh. Mm. It says uh, Lynette Shields, the proprietor of Nettie's Cafe, New Haven Road, gives the credit to her husband, Thomas who came up with the unique recipe, jokingly adding that it wasn't a bad attempt for an electrician. She said that it's a must-try for all iron brew lovers. Now, like most people we know, I do like an iron brew. As I've got older, I've cut down on it, because obviously it's horrendously bad for you. But Nettie describes it as a must-try for all iron brew lovers, and she's hoping that her creation will have Scott saying, I to a pie. She told the record our secret recipe was just a bit of fun. She said, with the lockdown, we were put on hold. So we're looking for something to grab people's attention. The deli- this is the second time that this journalist has described this recipe as delicious. Apparently, it's a big hit with Nettie's kids. Kind of has to be right. The kids can't. You know, if mum's excited about it, you kind of have to, no matter what you think about it, you've got to sort of get on board. She's added that it's going really well so far. We're already experimenting with other recipes, including the Stornaway Stoter, which consists of Stornaway black pudding, a poached egg, and holiday sauce. Now, that sounds nice. I, I could get on board for a, a, a Stornaway Stoter. Yeah, that does sound quite nice. The chicken and haggis sounds lovely, yeah. but the iron brew base, I think that's just a, a bit too much for my liking. It's, I mean, like, I'll be honest. I mean, it sounds fucking revolting. Because iron brew... Is probably the sweetest fizzy drink <laughs> that you can buy in Scotland. Like something that sweet with chicken and haggis, both. You know, obviously, obvious savoury flavours. I just don't think. I, I don't think I'd be saying aye to an iron brew pie. No, I think I'll pass on that. Yeah. Thanks for the offer, but I'll stick with what I know. Yeah. What about you? What have you found in your troll through uh, the Scottish papers? Well, the first story that I have this week, it's, it's not particularly funny in a way but do you know when you just see a story and there's a word in the headline that just instantly jumps out at you and just makes you laugh at the the ridiculousness of it well this was from the Dundee Courier this week a police firearms unit stormed a house to arrest a man who was spotted marching up and down a Kittymuir street armed with a crossbow (laughs) I, apart from Daryl from The Walking Dead, when the fuck do you ever have a need for a crossbow? And where do you even buy a crossbow in Scotland? I thought that crossbows were like a firearm. You have to have a licence for a crossbow. I could be wrong. It might be worth fact-checking that. But I think they're either, they're either illegal or you have to have a licence. Well, I'm not sure if Darren Barr had a licence. Uh, Darren, who was marching up and down the street with a crossbow, then proceeded to spit in the face of a female police officer, even though he knew he had hepatitis C. It took four of them to pin him down, 
and get him into the, the hospital. He was jailed for 34 months at the Dundee Sheriff Court after the judge called him offensive and disgusting. Now, the reason he was marching up and down the street with a crossbow is because he feared that a known gangland figure had put a price on his head. So, members of the public had seen him walking up and down this street, trying to conceal the crossbow by his side. Now, if he's marching up and down looking for these gangland members coming to kill him, surely he would want to show the crossbow and show that he's armed. (laughs) He was hiding it by his side, and then he also had a knife in the back of his trousers. Whereas others observed him holding the crossbow with both hands, walking up and down the street, and then walking back to his house. So the police stormed in his house, he found him on his own, with his weapons, and he'd also consumed a heavy dose of Valium. (laughs) So he had to be taken to the hospital to be assessed. Now, he'd had a heavy dose of Valium, but it still took four officers to restrain him. Uh, Fair play, Mr Barr, but he won't be seeing the light of day for some time after being jailed. I remember a mutual, somewhat eccentric acquaintance of ours who has got a bit of a YouTube presence as a Minecrafting expert at the tender age of 43 years old. He once told me that the best deterrent for a burglar, if you live in the country, is to make sure that there's an empty crossbow case in view if you peer through the window. I would have thought the best deterrent if a burglar is looking through the window would be like two massive Alsatians or you know a couple of Dobermen or like a, a fucking panther or something. If I'm looking through someone's window thinking about robbing and I see a panther like pacing around the living room, I'm going to think, fuck that. <laughs> you might think twice about uh, tanning the window and climbing in. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember lots of adverts from the government that advise that the best deterrent to having your house burgled is just to leave the fucking lights on if you go out. <laughs> Remember that? Leave the lights on. The burglars will think there's someone in. They'll go next door and tan their house instead. I mean, if you really wanted to get elaborate, you could go whole Kevin and get cardboard cutouts dancing in a silhouette of the window. Get my cardboard cutout of Michael Jordan. Put it on a train set. <laughs> that would deter any burglars, definitely. Well, it didn't actually, did it? No. He had to take... Matters into his own hands. He's a bit of a Scottish name. Kevin McAllister. Must be some tartan in his blood somewhere. That fictional character. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) I've never thought about that. I will pass that off. I'm sure he's got some Scottish heritage there, Kevin McAllister. Yeah, Yeah, he does. That's why he's got no qualms about shooting would-be burglars in the face with air rifles. (laughs) Very true. Very true. My next story, as I mentioned before, it comes from Edinburgh. I'm I'm ashamed to say I found it on the Scottish Sun website, which isn't a website that I frequent. Again, it was the headline that caught me. So, as as Scottish listeners will know, the nickname for Edinburgh is Old Reeky. But the headline um, for this story is Old Nuki. And apparently 5% of Edinburgh men claim that they've had sex with a celebrity. Oh, wow. Apparently Scotland's top star lovers, I think they mean, you know, well, they mean lovers of stars as opposed to anything else. It says a poll has revealed they've not bothered explaining uh, who 
or why even this poll was conducted in the first place. But it says, uh, a poll has revealed 5% of men who live in Edinburgh claim to have had sex with a celebrity. It says, the Scots capital came out top north of the border for men who claim to have had sex with a celebrity. Compared to, in, in, in England, Leicester is the winner. Sadly, in Newcastle, none of the men that they surveyed claim to have had um, sex with a celebrity. Clearly, the men of Edinburgh, uh, the men of Newcastle were as honest as this day is long, whereas the men of Edinburgh are lying cunts. No, you could say that Edinburgh does have quite a lot of annual visitors with the festival. Um, so you could technically say the influx of celebrities would lead to potentially a higher chance of an encounter with a celebrity. Maybe, but I don't know. I'm quite cynical about it, if I'm honest. <laughs> well, maybe it says 5% of the men that they, that they surveyed. So that, you know, we can't tar all the men of Edinburgh with the same brush because I'm sure whoever conducted this poll didn't knock on every door. I'm, I'm quite cynical about it. Have you ever uh, have you ever had sex with a celebrity? No, I can honestly say I have never had sex with a celebrity. Possibly a few women that looked like a budget version of a celebrity, maybe, um, but never actually managed a a celebrity. I I haven't either. But another mutual acquaintance of ours claims to have spent an evening in the sub club in Glasgow, which is. Uh, Quite a famous venue for DJs to play. Claims to have a, to have had spent a night sitting on a step with Danny Minogue, chatting her up. As I recall, I mean this the story changes depending on how many drinks he's had. But I think the most outrageous version of the story had him claiming that the only thing that stood between him and taking her home was when her minder came over and told her that it was time to go. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. I would hazard a guess, yes. Sounds a bit made up to me, but who knows? It's the, uh, it was the scourge of the British Transport Police in the early 1990s. Uh, <laughs> yes, I gathered who you were talking about. <laughs> ah, okay, alright, just in case it wasn't clear. I did get a hug off of... I, I, I can never remember if it was the DJ Lisa Lashes or Lisa Pinup, one of the two. When I sort of approached her, I made a sort of unsolicited approach to tell her, as was my habit back in those days, of how brilliant I thought she was. Like I would go up to DJs and like try and shake their hands when they were playing music, which which wasn't always that well received, if I'm honest. I, re- I remember that very well, Greg. I remember those days well. I remember the guy from Morchiba being quite gracious, but there was another DJ, I can't remember who it was now, he wasn't quite as happy to see me. But Lisa Pinup or Lashes, I can't remember which one, she was quite nice, gave me the briefest of hugs and sent me on my way, feeling pretty good about myself. Well, that's lovely. That's a a wonderful tale. So, oh, fantastic. So at least we know that 5% of Edinburgh men are lying bastards. Speaking of celebrities, did you know that Scotland has a new lord? Not know that. We now officially have Lord Charles Salvador. So this is um, notorious jailbird Charles Bronson. Right, oh yes. Who changed his name to Salvador a few years ago. So his family have actually bought him a piece of land in Galloway. He's now officially a lord 
in Scotland. <laughs> and he has the the bit of you know, certificate or proclamation saying that he's a lord in a frame in his cell. So I would just like to give a shout out to Lord Salvador. I'll bet the people of Galloway are thrilled <laughs> to know that if he ever gets out of prison, there's a good chance that he'll be making his way north. I'm, I'm sure they're going to be getting the bunting out for that and will be absolutely delighted. <laughs> but my second piece of news is from the Aberdeen Evening Express. Again, it's maybe not a particularly funny story, but just when you see a word in a headline, you just can't help but laugh. And it's maybe not that funny, but it, it made me laugh. An Aberdeen man has been fined after branding his ex-partner's new boyfriend a leprechaun in a threatening email. (laughs) So this is Terry Myers, 41, and he appeared at Aberdeen Sheriff Court over the email, which made reference to the woman's new partner being Irish and threatened to assault him. He'd been in a relationship with the woman. They were no longer together. She'd moved on. He made various threats to assault her new partner, and in one of the emails, he referred to the man as a leprechaun, which was found to be offensive as the man was born in Dublin. Uh, Is he a regular size man? It doesn't mention it in the article, so one would assume he might be slightly shorter, but... I don't know, because it doesn't mention anything about his height. It just says that Myers pled guilty to sending the message to his ex-partner, that it was grossly offensive, of an indecent, obscene, or menacing character. It was actually a racial and domestic aggravation charge. He also admitted breaching his bail conditions. <laughs> so he was given a fine of £280 for this. I don't know about you, but I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> In my 42 years on the planet. I think I'd be called a lot worse by people that are related to me. Let alone, like, girlfriends, ex-partners. I do think it's more of the the threatening oh. nature of the, the emails than Leprechaun. But they have just taken that and made that the spin <laughs> of the story. And again, as I say, you can call it racial abuse. I mean, I've been called worse as well, you know, in terms of Scottish slurs, none of which I'm going to say on this podcast, but I do remember one in particular. Uh, I lived in Norwich for a year, and one of my housemates used to call me a porridge word. Oh, really? To describe a a, a quite bad racial term. So I, I wouldn't say that now, but yeah, never mind. I used to piss in the kettle upon a morning for when he had his tea so who had the last laugh now John you cunt that pretty much rounds up the news for the week in Scotland then well shall we delve into a review now and have a little chat about a key piece of Scottish media I think we should I think we should we should pile right right on top of Gregory's girl well as I say it was my selection this week and I wanted to choose this film Gregory's Girl, of course. So, directed by Bill Forsyth and starring John Gordon Sinclair, Dee Hepburn, and Claire Grogan. Gregory's Girl's a a film that I think a lot of us grew up almost with. And it tells the story of Gregory, slightly awkward, gangly teenager, you would say, who plays for his school football team. He and his friends are just kind of discovering girls, but they're they're becoming obsessed with girls, as all 15-year-old boys generally are. So, when the football coach holds trials for new players for the football team, the standout is a talented girl called Dorothy, 
who Greg Great instantly falls in love with. After chatting to his pals, and it's actually upon the advice of his ten-year-old sister, <laughs> Madeline, he actually asks Dorothy out, and to his surprise, she says yes. But all is not as it seems, and the date doesn't quite go as planned, and it's very obvious that the females have been talking about things as much as Gregory and his friends have been talking about them. So as I say, the date doesn't go as planned, but it does work out very well for Gregory in the end. What are your memories of Gregory's Girl from the 80s? I actually never saw the film until I was in my late teens. I think I caught it. It was on quite late one night on like, uh, BBC Two or maybe Channel 4. And I was, it was always one of the, it was one of these things that you're kind of always aware of. I was particularly aware of it because, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, my name is Greg. And, you know, Gregory's Girl made for some quite amusing playground comedy when I was a little boy. Mean kids chanting Gregory's Girl in a sort of camp acts, a sort of camp voice at me. We also had, in the school library, we had the paperback of the book that had a it had a picture of John Gordon Sinclair on the front. So it's one of those things that I'm kind of always aware of, but for for whatever reason, I just I'd, I'd never got round to seeing it. It was some it would sometimes be shown at school. We would hear that like the English teacher might have stuck it on on the last day of school before the Christmas or the summer holiday or whatever. But I just never caught it until I was a lot older. How about you? I was the same. I think because of when it came out, I was born in 1981. Obviously, far too young to see it then. Video shops weren't exactly a big thing. And I don't think I would have particularly sought out to watch Gregory's Girl as a child. So again, it wasn't until I was, I think, about 15, probably about the age of the kids in the film, I was doing drama at school and we had to do a, a scene from Gregory's Girl. And I think it just so happened that around about that time... It was on BBC One or Two late at night one night, so I'd recorded it, and I watched it then. Uh, So yeah, that was probably the first time I'd seen it, and I think probably watched it a couple of times around about that era, but I don't think I've watched it for about 20 years until it came to looking at it for this podcast. Yeah, I I definitely hadn't seen it for... A really, really long time. Round about the time that I saw it, I was I was quite obsessed with film. I was buying a lot of film magazines, books and stuff about famous directors and things like that. And uh, I, I had seen Local Hero, which is the director, Bill Forsyth's probably second most famous movie. I'm pretty sure I, I had seen that before I saw Gregory's Girl. I remember my uh, stepfather having the Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits soundtrack to Local Hero on, on, on compact disc. It was one of the first compact discs he bought for his new hi-fi, along with things like Graceland by Paul Simon and The War of the Worlds by Jeff Wayne. But yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't seek it out, as you say. I just sort of stumbled across it. But it led me to go and look at some of Bill Sides' other work, like uh, Comfort and Joy. The, the movie that got him the that got him the funding to do Gregory's Girl, which was that sinking feeling, which has a lot of the same cast. A lot of the, particularly the guys from Gregory's Girl are in that sinking feeling. Now, Robert Buchanan, who plays Gregory's friend Andy, is actually the lead in that sinking feeling. That's right, because Bill Forsyth had actually written Gregory's Girl and wanted to make it, but couldn't get the money together. That sinking feeling was cheaper 
to make. And what he did, he was working as an editor at the time, and he saved all of the like the ends of the reels of films that he was being sent to edit. And once he had enough of those together, then he filmed that sinking feeling using those stolen ends of films, <laughs> which then led to him getting the funding to make Gregory's Girl. So it's a wonderful story yeah. that you know you wouldn't hear of nowadays. He um, to make his film cheaply, he went to the Glasgow Youth Theatre, which is where he found John Gordon Sinclair and uh, Robert Buchanan and Douglas. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to pronounce his second name correctly. Uh, I've got a feeling I'm going to mangle it. But uh, Douglas Sanahan, Sanahan, I think is how you pronounce his name. He plays Billy, the window cleaner, and Gregory's girl. Plus, there's, there's a few other faces in there that you recognise from both movies. And obviously, they were all amateur actors that were doing it at the weekend. I think John Gordon Sinclair was a an apprentice electrician when he shot that sinking feeling and Gregory's girl. So, but I, th- I think you know, I think the fact that the cast are you know they're not trained actors as such apart from Dee Hepburn you know it adds to the charm and it brings an air of sort of authenticity to their conversation yeah because certainly even Claire Grogan she was working as a, a waitress in the spaghetti factory in Glasgow apparently Bill was a regular there and said to her I'm, I'm making a film would you like to be in it and she obviously just thought it was a cheap chat up line and said no but he kind of persisted, and I think it was on the instruction of the manageress of the spaghetti factory that it took Claire aside and kind of said, "No, Bill's a—he's a nice guy. He's a really good guy. You should give this a go." She did. Yeah, the interesting thing about Thea Grogan is when she was filming Gregory's Girl about six months before, she had been in the vicinity of a fight in which uh, some flying glass cut up her face. So she had a scar on her cheek, but they shot her from in profile and at an angle, so you, do, you, don't, you don't really see it. Yeah, there's only a, a couple of occasions. It's, it's mostly the right side of her face that you see. Yeah. There's only a couple of times that it, it's noticeable in terms of the scar. And fair play, still to this day, she's never had plastic surgery or anything to fix that scar. No, she seems, uh, when you see her being interviewed, Thea Grogan, she seems quite down to earth. You know, I mean, I think arguably she's been the most successful of the cast in terms of what she's gone on to do. Obviously, she was in Altered Images, famous 80s band. She went on to play the original Kachansky in Red Dwarf and, you know, various other things. You know, she's done some television presenting. She's always there, Claire Grogan. You know, she pops up, yeah, she popped up in EastEnders, I remember, a few years ago for a while. And- it's funny you say that. There's a question that I had later on, which I was going to ask you. In terms of the cast, who did you think went on to have the best career? So, are you thinking Claire Grogan? I think in, in terms of profile, she's had the best. You know, John Gordon Sinclair, just kind of reading up on him, I, I knew some of the things that he'd done on the TV. I remember in Nelson's column, the sort of sitcom that he did, he's got a small part in Local Hero. Bizarrely, he's got a small part in... World War Z with Brad Pitt and I think he's the only really famous actor in it, Brad Pitt. Peter Capaldi pops up towards the end. You know, I, I know he's done he's done theatre, he's, he's, he's also a published author as well. So I, I, guess it, I guess it depends on how you define best career. I think in, in terms of exposure, I would say Claire Grogan has probably got the edge on Gordon. My pick would be, and 
he's not in the film a great deal, but looking like a young Phil Collins, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's Alex Norton, one of the pervy teachers. I, did you, I mean, Alex Norton, it, a lot of his career is very Scottish-based in terms of the things he's done, but he's in Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. he's in Braveheart, he's in Patriot Games with Harrison Ford. Of course, he was in Taggart for a long time, however many years, yeah. and he's still you know, a, a big actor to this day, you know, still a successful... Two Doors Down is one of the most successful Scottish sitcoms recently, and he's still working away. So he'd be my pick for who did the best out of this film. But I, I just couldn't get away with when you see him with the the other teachers, you know, with with Pete the Jakey yeah. as the PE teacher. <laughs> and um, it just struck me how much Alex Norton looked like a young Phil Collins. It was wonderful. He does. He, you know, now you mention it, it hadn't occurred to me, but now that you mention it. He definitely does. You mentioned Pete the Jakey there, Jake Darcy, who, until he passed away in I think 2015, it was a real sort of stalwart of Scottish drama. He's been in, he's been in loads of mm. stuff. It's funny, you mentioned earlier as well about Peter Capaldi and the chip shop that they go to towards the end of the film was called Capaldi's, which was owned by a member of Peter Capaldi's family, and I guess now Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> That's a fucking brilliant fact. <laughs> that was brilliant. Uh, I had no idea. So Peter Capaldi must have he, he must have some links to Cumbernauld. I would imagine so. And I mean, that's one thing we haven't even touched upon yet: the the setting of the film in Cumbernauld, and that's kind of your old stomping ground. Yeah, I mean, my my dad lives in. In Cumbernauld, you know, for people who aren't familiar with Cumbernauld, it's a uh, it's a new town, uh, one of the one of these towns that they built after the Second World War, like Milton Keynes and Stevenage, then Lithgow, you know, to kind of bring the population out of the busy centres, get people out into the countryside, better houses, nicer space, indoor toilets. Didn't always work out as it was intended. But my dad lives in the he lives in the old, the original part of Cumbernauld, the the pre new town. Uh, village. We used to live many years ago. We lived in Colsaith, which is just down the road uh, from Cumbernauld. The Cumbernauld's about fifteen miles outside of Glasgow. It's famous. It's obviously very famous for being the setting of Gregory's Girl. The school used for the film is Abram Hill High School, which has since been closed. Actually, just a few years ago, two thousand and fourteen, uh, and it had. It's also famous for having Britain's first ever shopping indoor shopping centre which has since been voted the ugliest building in the UK by a Channel 4 programme called Demolition. That was actually the thing that kind of held that caught my attention the first time I saw Gregory's Girl because I'm fairly familiar with the streets that the actors are are shooting on when they're wandering about and stuff like that so I remember seeing it and thinking oh that looks like Cumbernauld and then the scene at the end towards the end where Gregory's waiting to meet Dorothy for their date, and he stood by the clock. It was originally the clock in St Enoch train station in Glasgow, which was closed down maybe in the 1950s, 1960s, uh, but the clock was nice, and Cumbernauld got it. So it, the, the sort of disembodied clock face hangs in the shopping centre. When I saw that, I was 100% I knew it was Cumbernauld. They, 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 these were the days before I could quickly dive onto Google or Wikipedia and find out facts. I had to sit through a whole film to confirm my suspicions. And it's very community-based as well. You know, you can see... It's not called Cumbernauld in the film, but 
it very much takes from that, you know, kind of it's a, a small town just outside Glasgow. I think they, they do that wonderfully, much like many of the things that they do wonderfully in this film. I think as a 15-year-old boy watching it for the first time, you're kind of instantly drawn in because, let's face it, within the first 30 seconds you get to see a bit of tit, as they would describe it in the film. And, of course, that's the only nudity in the film, but instantly that's kind of got you hooked. And then with the the kind of football aspect and then just the, wow, these are guys kind of talking like me and my friends talk. It just really draws you in, and I think it's a it's a story that everyone can relate to as well in terms of a you know a guy fancying a girl and not sure if she likes him back and kind of the you know the flirtatious aspect. So I think it's yeah it's it's really got something for everyone in that kind of aspect. Yeah, and you know with the that with those pre credit perverts, you know if you're a fifteen year old boy watching that film and the first thing to your point that you see is an attractive naked lady, you're going to strap in for the rest of the movie because you can be forgiven for thinking that there'll be more nudity later on in the film. It's quite a clever strategy. That's true. At the heart of it, it is very much uh, a simple story. You know, it's a it's a coming-of-age kind of romantic comedy, but it's quite subversive as well. And there's quite a few, you know, strange little things in there. You know... Effectively, the one of the main things, of course, is that the adults in this film effectively behave like kids. Yeah. And the teenagers, they kind of behave like teenagers. Whereas the, the younger children behave like adults. Yeah. And I have to admit, Gregory's 10-year-old sister, Madeline, creeps me the fuck out. She's a wonderful actress and plays the part so well. But I just find it really creepy. Although she does deliver that, that beautiful poignant line when they're in the cafe and she's having the, the ginger beer with the ice cream and Yeah, the nicest part is just before you taste it. Your mouth goes all tingly, but that can't go on forever. That's deep coming from a ten-year-old. <laughs> she's perhaps the most profound ten-year-old that's ever been in a film. For us, for our generation, we didn't really hear profound statements like that until Dawson's Creek in like the late 90s. <laughs> Full of teenage angst and drama. But yeah, coming from a 10-year-old, that's quite bad. So, obviously, to go back to Cumbernauld, I mean, because Gregory is obviously... His family are pretty well off, you would think. He's got a fucking drum kit in his room. He's got an electric toothbrush. They've got electric can openers and stuff in the kitchen. But yeah, he's eating a fucking dog biscuit with primula cheese for his snack before he goes to school. I mean, obviously we know his dad's a driving instructor. We never see his mum, so we don't know what she does. But they must be quite well off. That scene at the beginning that you just mentioned, every sort of early 1980s gadget is in that scene. You've got Gregory with his electric mm. toothbrush with what looks like a massive battery pack that it's attached to. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? This thing's like a fucking iPad that it's plugged into that he's carrying down the stairs. And then... He, 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 sort of, he, sort of, he kind of finishes brushing his teeth and leaves it switched on on the counter and then turns on the electric tin opener and then turns on the sort of stick blender thing and then just leaves everything switched on <laughs> and he makes his little cracker and cheese. I guess that's Bill Forsyth establishing that Gregory's quite an eccentric 15-year-old boy, you know? Or, or maybe just a typical 15. Maybe we were all a bit eccentric when we were 15. I can't remember. I love that scene. 
I think it's so funny. Just he's just the, he's completely aware yet unaware of anything that's going on. And I think that sets the tone very well. Yeah. As you say, it is a case of he doesn't really know what's going on. And you can see that in terms of his lusting after Dorothy. It's a case of instantly he is in love with her when he sees her playing football and goes back into the, the home economics class saying to Stevie that I'm in love and that's a great part as well where there's a little slight miscommunication and Stevie thinks that you know, Gregory says it's someone from the football team and <laughs> Steve's like it'll just be a phase no, is, that, is that a mature woman did you wash your hands don't be crude someone in the football team really? yeah have you told anyone else about this? Probably just a phase. Who is it, Andy? No, it's Dorothy. She's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> he's completely besotted with Dorothy, even though she's taken his position in the football team. He's been stuck in goals, usurping his mate Andy, who has to stand behind the goal when the when when the game's on. And Andy's all, you know, he's all that outraged. Not so much about the fact that he's lost his place in the team, but more that there's a girl on the team. And, it, you know, Gregory's all for it, Andy's all against it, until Dorothy scores a goal. And Andy starts singing her praises, and Gregory gets upset when all the all the other, all the other team go over and start hugging her and everything. And then even the opposition players <laughs> start coming over, patting, <laughs> patting her on the back and giving her a hug. Gregory's all, oh, that's disgusting. That's a- <laughs> I think it's because, and it shows the the young love that he is blinkered even by the fact as you say she's stolen his place in the team he's been stuck in goal but it's just the blinkered view that he is just or he thinks he is in love with her and just wants to go on a date with her and I say it it does take the his 10 year old sister to intervene to convince him to ask her out that's again as you say how kind of clueless Gregory is as displayed in the scene with the you know all of the gadgets and the toothbrush and things well i mean when we when i was 15 i don't know about you but when it came to the girls i was probably pretty clueless as well obviously i had my eye on a number of my classmates uh what i, what I tended to find when i was at high school was that the the girls in my year tended to go out with guys who were like 17 or 18 there wasn't many girls that stayed within their age bracket quite often the girls at school seemed a little out of reach was that like that when you were at school not for me (laughs) i was a bit of a strange one at school because i was quite involved in drama and in theater so we had quite a few shows and it just so happened when i was 13 i was cast as the effectively the lead in the school play which meant that I was by far the youngest, so I was hanging out with all the fifth and sixth years when I was in third year. So I was hanging around with all these, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. And they, the girls kind of, I think, saw me as like a, like a little younger, cool brother in a way. So I did have some success at that age. I mean, I, I remember what I could probably relate to in terms of this story is yes when i was about 13 there was a girl who was in sixth year so she would have been 17 we'll just call her claire because that was her name 
We won't give her a surname. <laughs> and yeah, I was kind of infatuated with her. She, she was incredible. And I remember because I had kind of the main part, I was obviously, we would rehearse twice a week and I was always on stage because I was in pretty much every scene. And she didn't have that big a part, but she would be sat kind of in the audience chairs. And I just desperately wanted to get, you know, this time over so that I could go and sit with her and talk to her. And any spare time I had in rehearsals, I would spend with her. I genuinely don't think it wasn't like she was leading me on as such, but I, I guess I was probably like a little puppy following her around all the time. And we had, uh, on one of the Saturdays, we had like this kind of bake or like kind of jumble sale to raise funds for the school play and finished up about 12 and she said to me, do you want to go into town? And that's what you did on a Saturday afternoon. You'd go into town and have a mooch around the shops. So we did. And of course, 13 year old me, I took her to Plan 9 and I bought Star Wars comics. She must have just thought I was such a little fanny or like a little geek for that but i didn't care because i was a bit clueless at the time yeah. uh so yeah but anyway we continued to hang out and then at the end of term party she got drunk and i snogged her so i had a happy ending <laughs> but yes i uh, then i continued kind of towards yeah through the years um constantly hanging out with the older kids until i became the older kid myself and realised that all my friends had kind of left, so I had to dip into the year below. Dip in, dip into the year below. Oh my god. The only year that I had a girlfriend when I was at school, and I had, I had two in the same year. I started, see- when I was in fifth year, and I was 16, I grew my hair quite long. I started growing it in fourth year. I, I say long, it didn't grow the sort of like, kneel out the young ones hippie-ish long. It sort of kind of grew down and grew out. So it didn't really reach my shoulders unless it was wet. It sort of, I don't know, it it sort of kind of permed up naturally at the bottom. But anyway, I don't think there was any other guys in the year that stayed on for fifth year that had long hair. And, you know, I was kind of playing guitar, trying to at least. I was into music and going to gigs and stuff like that and going to, like, sort of grotty parties where people sat about all night playing like old Black Sabbath records and drinking cider and smoking weed, talking bollocks, and managed to attract a a new girl who was also called Claire. And her and I kind of went out for about two weeks. And I I, I say went out, she came to my house a couple of times. I went up to her house once. We held hands, you know, we had a kiss and a cuddle around the school. And then to my everlasting shame... I went out to a, a, a gig in a local pub one Saturday night. Claire, she didn't come for some reason. And somebody told me that a girl that I knew pretty well, who, and again, it pains me to say it, and I'm ashamed to say it, but to my 15-year-old eyes, was a lot more attractive than poor Claire. Someone told me that uh, this girl really liked me. And she was, was a bit sad that I was going out with Claire. And so, upon receiving this news... On the Sunday, I uh, hastily did the honourable thing and got my mate to phone Claire and tell her that she was chucked. 
and then made I know it's dreadful it's dreadful I, I'm embarrassed to tell this story cowards I know it's absolutely a shame and then you know the, this other girl whose name was Stacy found out that I was available so through intermediaries as you do when you're 15 her and I started going out uh, and we went out for I don't know maybe about two months I did get some grudging respect because she was one of the better, well, this this sounds dreadful, and I I no doubt people will take great offence at this, but she was one of the better looking girls in the year. You know what I mean? It's just a fact. She was attractive. And I went out with her for a couple of months. Unfortunately, she, she soon got fed up with me because... Like you, I think I well, I think she maybe expected because of my windswept and interesting long hair, black leather jacket that my cousin handed me down and Doc Martens and stuff, that I was perhaps a bit more mature and interesting than I actually was. And after going out with me for about six or seven weeks, she realised this very nicely, I have to say, behind the school in the smoking area where we all snuck off to smoke at break time, told me that it was over. And I had to sort of say it was okay, even though inside I was fucking crushed. But I was like, oh, you know, well, like, fair enough. I, I, I lied and said that I sort of saw it coming. I didn't see it coming. I thought we were going to be together forever. I had to kind of, I had to sort of, kind of mope off to the boys' toilets and dab my eyes in the cubicle when no one was looking and sort myself out. I'm sure Claire was absolutely fucking delighted at that. Well, you know, you could say that it's... All I deserved. I did treat Claire ra- rather poorly. Although Claire and I did stay friends. We were, I, we're, we're, still, we're, we're actually still friends, Claire and I. Oh, but it all worked out well. That's the thing, because I guess you can relate in terms of this film. It, it does seem that Gregory is obsessed with Dorothy, and he doesn't notice everything else that's going around him. You know, he doesn't notice Susan. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't notice, you know, Carol or Margot even. You don't know them until the end. But he just seems oblivious. It's just Dorothy. It's not just Gregory. As uh, And this is my favourite scene in the film. When they go into the toilet and they've just got this, like... Well, the first thing you see is this kid who looks about 12 smoking a pipe. <laughs> then it comes... This is effectively like Steve's cake shop. The two young kids are selling photos of our Dorothy for 10p and 15p, which Gregory's paid 25p for earlier. They're selling very well, so it seems that a lot of people are kind of obsessed with our Dorothy. Yeah. Which also is one of the subtle nods that I love in the film, that next to the the sign for that, there is the, the sign that says, Next attraction, Naughty Night Nurse. Two sizes available. <laughs> Which is beautiful because it relates to the start of the film when you see the nurse, and then the very end of the film, yeah. when, of course, you see um, Eric, who's heading up to the hospital for the, the flesh tone experiment. Which is obviously to, to take pictures of the naughty night nurse. It just seems so well, but I just love the ridiculousness of this this sort of thriving empire going on in the toilet, selling cakes and photos of the girls for their school. I guess obviously it's not just Gregory that's obsessed with Dorothy, it seems the whole school is. I, I love in that scene how they've got, they've got all the cakes piled up in the cistern in the toilet and they're, they're, not, they're not like wrapped or in like bags or anything, they're just handing, handing over Steve's handing over Steve's cakes. 
in a toilet cubicle. And of course, I mean, I think that's where the film is a bit of its time. It's not, uh, you know, there's absolutely no way that anybody selling pictures of a girl at school, even if she's in a football strip and dressed normally, never get away with it. No, the only person that would get away with it would be if the girl herself was selling photographs of herself. It, it, would, it would literally be in like the local paper, like boys expelled for selling photographs mm. of classmate in toilets next to a wee headlight, a smaller headline saying other boys expelled for selling cakes off the top of a cistern. It's quite innocent, you know, they're, they're selling cakes, and okay, they're selling photos of classmates, and coming next week they're going to effectively be selling peeping Tom pictures that they've taken of this naughty night nurse. That isn't innocent, I'll agree with you on that. But it just does seem the you know, selling cakes in the toilets, you know, nowadays it's not going to be cakes, is it? It's going to be crystal meth. Yeah, hash cakes. Yeah, hash cakes in the toilet. So as I say, that's probably my my favourite scene. What about yours? To be honest, that that is one of my favourite scenes. But I, I actually really like the the sort of last scene with well, not the scene as such, but the the whole process of Gregory's date at the end when they go to the country park and the conversation, and she walks Gregory home, and it's actually it's a bit of a callback to a an earlier scene, you, you realise that she lives, Claire Grogan's character lives quite close to Gregory because there's a scene earlier in the film when, for some reason, Gregory's howling out the window and she's lying in bed reading her book and she hears him. It's that whole scene of them walking home and he's got her he's got her, 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 her berry on and everything and they're having a kiss and a cuddle at, the, at, at Gregory's door. I know there's, there, there's something really authentic about that scene I think you know when I, when I think back to sort of summer nights when I was sort of 14 15 and you, or 13 14 15 and you're having your first snogs with girls and stuff and a day is literally wandering around wherever you live maybe hanging about at the swing park for a bit holding hands you trying to think of something interesting or funny to say and hopefully show like it and all that sort of thing you know and wondering if she's going to maybe let you go a wee bit further than just a kiss or a cuddle you know although that you know that isn't suggested in Gregory's girl Gregory's a pure gentleman right through the whole date <laughs> but um, yeah I just think there's something really authentic about about that it feels really real you know I completely agree I think that it is so beautifully done and exactly as you said we've all kind of been there and I remember you say summer, you know, school holidays, summer nights. You would go to the park, and yeah, just kind of wander around. And there would be boys initially, but then girls would would come in, and yeah, you'd go off and have a little kiss and a cuddle, and it would be a a lovely kind of little summer romance type of thing. But I completely agree. I, I love the last fifteen minutes of this film, and I'm watching it now. You're kind of looking, and I think it's so cleverly done as well that you don't see a lot of Claire Grogan's character mm. up until the end because you, you don't really know her and you're thinking well Dorothy is Dee Hepburn in 1980 was a very attractive woman yeah. and when Claire Grogan turns up effectively and she's going on the date with Gregory you kind of think oh okay and it's just amazing over that next few scenes I I was so compelled and so with Gregory and I'll be honest I fell in love with 1980 Claire Grogan 
she was just yeah she's great i mean that's she would be the type of girl i would go for you know when i was that age and they just play it so well together and it just feels so natural yeah yeah i mean she's you i think what's attractive about claire's character uh, about susan is that she you know there's a lot of all the spurious facts and nonsense that gregory talks to her, to, to her about she's completely invested in all of it you know she 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 humors them she laughs along with them they do the lying on the grass uh, dancing she's you know she's she's all in for all that stuff and you you know i think if if i had seen that film when i was sort of 14 15 i would have been looking for a girl like susan who you know and maybe a bit like you as well like a girl that you could buy star wars comics in front of or uh you know the various other sort of boyish things that silliness that most girls with that are that age and going through the things that they're going through would screw their noses up at you know yeah i think that shows the it's the beautiful story of gregory's been lusting after dorothy but he doesn't know her and then over the course of this evening he gets to know susan and that's where the real attraction is yeah to speak claire krogan pays plays the part so well and is just so lovable and likable and in fact do you know which song is partly about Claire Grogan. A Spandau Ballet song, right? Is it true? It is, yeah. I never knew that. But yeah, Gary Kemp wrote it um, partly about Claire Grogan. They were never together, but there was a bit of unrequited love, I think, on his part. Really? And yeah, he wrote a bit of true, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's there's one actor in this uh, film that you, you can't really talk about Gregory's girl without mentioning. And he's only in two scenes. So it's a... Uh, <laughs> it's a... Uh, Chick Murray is the headmaster. I mean, there's, it's not. He doesn't really say anything particularly funny, and in fact, he feeds Jake Darcy a great line about about the showers when he asks if he asks about the showers, and Jake Darcy says, "Oh, it's okay. She'll bring her own soap." One possible problem area: the showers. What happens about the showers? Oh, she'll bring her own soap. When we get the blog up and running. When I do the page for Gregory's Girl, I'll put a couple of links to some of Chick Murray's stand-up comedy. Pretty unique and surreal, and he's one of these comedians that is not so much in what he says, it's more the way he says it, you know? But still, years later, really, really funny guy. And as you say, he's only in two scenes, but it is a very memorable performance. I did think you were about to speak about someone else there when you said to give a shout out to someone who's only in two scenes but we can come back to that okay but yes chick murray was, he was very famous mm. scottish stand-up comedian and to be in this small part and i did read that the the tune that he plays on the piano he came up with that himself right. and just played it and he was just mucking around during rehearsals bill forsyth saw it they filmed it kept it in Chick Murray's agent found out about this and then subsequently charged Bill Forsyth a, a fee for using this Chick Murray original song in the film. So he did well out of it, I think. Off you go, you small boys. 
The other character I wanted to mention who only appears twice is, of course, the Penguin, who roams the halls of the school, <laughs> getting told different rooms to go to. Yeah, we never really find out why or what he's, why he's there or what the Penguin... What the penguin outfits for, or where he's supposed to be? Interesting fact about him. I know that you also found out this fact. The actor who plays the penguin is Chris Higson, who is the son of Paddy Higson, who was a uh, one of the production supervisors. And Chris now works for uh, Peter Jackson in Weta. He's a he's a model maker. For I'm not sure if he worked on Lord of the Rings. I didn't look that deeply into it, but I'm sure he's worked on Jackson's subsequent output. Since the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Very odd, and one of those just surreal little moments that you, you know, blink and you miss it, and you wonder why it's in. Similarly, when Gregory meets Susan for the first time and they're standing on the street, and there's the two old women mowing their lawns (laughs) at the same time, either side, and it's just this bizarre little thing that's there. You're thinking, why would these two old women wearing these old dresses be... You know, using their flymo at this time, yeah, and it's just a a wonderful little strange bit of humour that's in there. Yeah, it's kind of sort of become uh, Bill Forsyth's sort of calling card to have these little, just almost sort of corner of the eye little moments in these movies. You know, he also throws over to Mister Menzies, uh, Jake Darcy's character, who's. He's in his greenhouse talking to his plants as uh, Gregory and um, and Susan pass by. Yes, indeed. Now, that leads me to the one part that I'm a bit... Again, it's quite surreal, but it leaves me a little uncomfortable. Is the scene of Jake Darcy's character and Dorothy in the changing room where they're doing the little reverse, down, trap, up, turn, steady... <laughs> It, that's just a bit odd I don't know if it's just my mind and it's all very innocent of course it's just a very strange scene and that's that's probably the only part of the film that I'm like I could I could live without that part oh really yeah yeah it's a lot unusual I mean again I think there are, there are some there are some uh, moments in Gregory's Girl that are of their time you know and that's maybe one of them I, 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 I think he I think Jake Darcy plays that Character brilliantly. I mean, I, I, I love how in the he's up in the in the first sort of two acts of the film, he's trying to avoid Gregory all the time. If he sees him coming, or you'll kind of you'll kind of duck into a room to get away from him. And he's so proud. And again, that's where it relates to the adults being like kids. That he's so proud of this moustache that he's been growing for two days, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, it makes you look older." Another quite another kind of interesting fact, and it's probably how Bill Forsyth was able to pay for the Chick Murray original that's in, that's in the final cut of the film. So the, it cost £200,000 to make in uh, 1981. And it, it so far at the box office, it's made £25.8 million. So that's quite a good that's quite a good return on investment. Uh, it's not a bad. Yeah, not a bad return at all. And I think it's very much, say, uh, a Scottish institution... Yeah. And it was obviously a critical hit as well. I think it's ranked number 30 in the British Film Institute's top 100 British films of all time. Which says a lot about the the standing of it. And 
yeah, it's it's very much a, a cherished film, and I'm so glad I've gone back to watch it, and I will not be leaving it another twenty years before I watch it again. I think it's a it's a film that's going to probably be on heavy rotation for me now. Just I, I loved it so much. So let me ask you: Did you did you let your significant other watch it with you? Did no, I didn't. I I watched it myself. And then I did run through it again quickly just to make some notes because I wanted to watch it and kind of enjoy it once and then go through it again. Just in terms of, I think, timing, mm-hmm. we didn't get a chance to watch it together. So, no, I think she would have probably liked it. And again, I don't think any of the language is too difficult to understand because she's German, but she does, you know, pick up... Um, a lot of Scottish things um, and, and traits, but no, I, I just watched it on my own. But I'll, I will ensure that some of the things that we pick for the Swally, I will watch with her to get a an outsider's perspective. Yeah, I thought about letting my daughter watch it. She's twelve, but I, but I hadn't seen it for a long time, so I thought I'll I'll watch it first myself and just make sure that there's nothing that maybe that I've forgotten about, that maybe she's not quite ready for. And I'd, I'd completely forgotten about the gratuitous nudity at the beginning, <laughs> the very beginning of the film. But, you know, I, I thought maybe she's not quite ready for it yet. But I was thinking about letting my wife watch it, and my my wife isn't Scottish, uh, in as much as, as, as your partner isn't either. And I kind of thought, I don't know, I don't know if she will appreciate it. I did tell her I was going to make her watch it and she seemed quite enthusiastic, but she never mentioned it again. And then when she saw I was watching it, the first time she didn't say, oh, I thought we were going to watch this together. She just sort of breezed out the room. So I don't know, I, I may get to wa- I may get her to watch it at some point. But what worried me was when I watched a documentary about the making of Gregory's Girl and the producers were being interviewed, apparently an American... Uh, executive, because the film did well in America. It was it was well, it was it was critically well received in America, and apparently one executive, to this day, said that when he takes a girl out for the first time, he shows her Gregory's girl, and if she doesn't love it, then he doesn't take her out again. And so I'm kind of worried in case I show it because my my wife and I have been married for 15 years nearly. If I show her the film and she and she doesn't love it, I might have to like completely rethink my life choices. So maybe it's just better not to know. <laughs> I think I, I completely agree, and I think that's my fear almost as well. In that I, similarly, I had said to her that well, I need to watch this film. Let's watch it together. And I thought I'll just watch it myself first, just to you know, because it's been twenty years. And then when I watch it with her, I'll I'll make notes. And upon the first viewing, I loved it so much and it brought back so many warm memories that I kind of, I'm the same. I was like, I I don't want to show this to her in case she says, well, that was shit or, you know, that was rubbish. And it would almost break me in terms of how, you know, no, you can't say that about this. So I think I'm just going to leave it. I know. So we just, we were discussing perhaps a, a sort of mechanic to put in towards the end of the podcast to sort of rate whatever it is we've been watching. And the, your idea, which I think is one that bears 
developments and see how it goes down was to develop a, a swally meter. Um, and the measurement of the swally meter is how likely you would be to stick Gregory's girl on after coming in from the pub and a few pints on a Friday or Saturday night. So from 1 to 10 on the swally meter, 10 being most likely, 1 being not likely at all, are you to stick Gregory's girl on after a night out? I would say if I came home and I was looking for something to watch and I was looking through, say, my DVDs, but effectively looking through my downloads, it probably wouldn't be the one that would jump out to me straight away. If I came home and it was on TV, for example, I'm going to continue watching it. You know, if I come in at a certain point. But I wouldn't say it would be something I would actively decide to put on in terms of coming home from the pub. So what would you say, maybe a six? So I would certainly watch it if it was on. I don't know if I would actively choose to put it on. So in terms of in terms of rating this film, I would give this like a high eight, you know, in terms of overall rating. But in terms of swally rating, would I come in from the pub and put this on? It's probably about maybe a six, six and a half. Now, it's interesting that you would give it eight out of ten because on I'm sure... On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 95% approval rating. What do I know, then? <laughs> Everyone's allowed an opinion. Why? What would you put it at? For me, I mean... Just in te- I mean, if I, if, you, if I put it up against... I suppose it's a, it's a bit of a genre film in as much as that it's a high school film. It's about, you know, teenagers... <laughs> kind of getting together and stuff so it sort of falls uncomfortably into the same kind of camp as things like American Pie and stuff like that only American Pie kind of takes it so it takes it to the extreme for I mean you know for me if I I, I would it's a, it's a 10 out of 10 if we're if we're rating it like that for me in in terms of whether I would stick it on when I get in from the pub I can't really judge that on my 42 year old self because when I get home from the pub, the only thing I do these days is drink a, a, a pint of water uh, and pass out, hopefully, in my bed. But when I was younger, I think I would I would be likely to stick it on if I had been talking about it and I took somebody back with me. So, like, if, I, if a mate was crashing over for whatever reason, like, all right, we're watching Gregory's Girl, or if I was, or if I, I had maybe bonded over a over the movie with a girl that I was keen on, I might suggest, oh, I could go back to mine and watch Gregory's Girl. <laughs> um, oh, you old smoothie, yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's got to be one of the best ever Scottish films. You know, and there's they, we mentioned it on the last podcast, there's not a huge amount of well-known Scottish movies. There's a lot of Scottish films, uh, you know, and we'll talk about a lot of them in coming podcasts but in terms of really well known Scottish movies um, I don't think there's that many um, and for me Gregory's Girl has to be one of the absolute best just in terms of because it's it's very Scottish uh, in a lot of ways although it's dealing with very universal themes 
it's it's still it's it's a really it's a, it's a warmly Scottish film, and I and I think that's where all its charm lies. You know, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, certainly, as you say, it's a very charming film and just very beautifully made. Wonderful. So, what are we going to talk about next? I believe it's your choice because I picked Gregory's Girl. It is my choice. And I've chosen uh, a bit of classic and perhaps a little obscure, depending on where you come from, um, Scottish drama. Uh, it's the the Peter McDougall uh, play for today, Just a Boys Game, which stars Frankie Miller. Yeah, uh, one of uh, four, five actually, classic uh, play for the days that Peter McDougall wrote for the BBC. Um, but I think... You know, maybe we'll talk about one or more of the other five later on, the other four later on. But I, you know, that this is my favourite of them all, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you think about it. Fantastic! I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen it, but I'll know instantly when I start watching it if I have. But yeah, I don't seem to recall. But I will look forward to that. Then. Well, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at CultureSwallyPod. And if you want to drop us a line or have any suggestions of anything you'd like us to review or to look at, then you can drop us an email on CultureSwally at gmail.com. Well, thanks very much. And till next time, see you later, Greg. See you later. Bye. Oh, get yourself, Dave Fuck.